Hi everyone, welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, to uh, I guess put in perspective where the Packers are right now, Joe Philbin spoke to the media on Monday, the traditional day after game press conference from a head coach. And he made no bones about it here, Wes, with the Chicago Bears on the horizon Sunday noon kickoff at Soldier Field. The Packers are going to have to play their best game of the season, quite frankly, in order to win this game. Um, and now we're looking at a Bears team that is going to see its arch rival come into its stadium with a chance, Chicago speaking, that is, to clinch its first NFC North championship since 2010. You know they want to do that against the Packers. The stakes do not get any higher for either <laughs> of these teams because here's the other thing from the Bears' perspective. They actually have an outside chance still at getting a bye here. So, I mean, if, if they can, True. you know, if the same way the, pack, pa the Packers want to win out, the Bears want to do the same thing and then see if maybe some luck would fall into their hands now. You know, and in, in, on an outside chance. Yeah, the way, if, if I'm not mistaken, the way the Bears would get a bye would be to win out and the Rams would have to lose twice. Twice. Right? Yep. Because if they could tie the Rams, they have the tiebreaker on the head Correct. to head and then the Bears could get the two seed. Yeah, so that, yeah. that door is open for them now. So, yeah. and then from the Packers' perspective, it's really funny, Mike. I was sitting down last night having a conversation with my father and I was saying, you know, it's interesting in that literally these past two weeks could not have gone any better for the Packers other than losing that game to the Cardinals. Right, They right. got everything they needed to happen last week, and it basically happened again. Now it looks like Seattle's going to be running away with one of those wild card spots. Yeah, the Seahawks are in perfect position now for one of those wild cards. You know, they'd have to lose out for the Packers to even be in a potential situation to, to get it over them. But be that as it may, the Packers very suddenly – have not a good probability, but a realistic probability here. You have three teams that need to lose once, and you need the Vikings, who are reeling, to lose twice in the last three weeks. Stranger things have happened. I think the Packers' biggest issue right now is the fact that they're staring at the Chicago Bears here on Sunday. Yeah, they're staring at a Bears team that, quite frankly, is riding high. Yeah. The, they, they just beat the team that was holding the number one seed in the NFC in the Rams, and they held that high-flying offense to just six points, intercepted Jared Goff, what was it, four, four times, times on Sunday Night Football. So this uh, the, this Bears team is uh, riding a significant wave of momentum. And, yeah, I mean, you can talk all these other scenarios and who has to lose and this and that for the Packers, but it all starts now with knocking off the presumptive division champion in the Chicago Bears on Sunday in Chicago, in December, in the cold, all of that. For everything that's gone on this season, it's just going to be fun, I think, to go to Chicago for a Packers-Bears game in December with quite a bit on the line. Yeah, I put it as our Insider Inbox headline uh, for Tuesday and that it's all you can really ask for right now. I mean, the Packers have put themselves in this position. You are 5-7-1. and one. You're on the outside looking in. But it's just strange to me how many second, third, now fourth chances they appear to have at trying to make a postseason run. Here's what stands out to me the most, Mike. You're absolutely right. The Chicago Bears defense, phenomenal. Getting a chance to watch some of those highlights of that game these past two days. Incredible what they were able to do against Jared Goff and just the, the mayhem and dysfunction that they caused for the Bears offense. Or for, the excuse me, the Rams offense. Right. Uh, but the thing that's funny about it is on the other side of things, 
Mitchell Trubisky was the winning quarterback in that game with a 33 passer rating. Uh, now, they finally were able to get Jordan Howard going. He had a 100-yard game. Mm-hmm. But Mitch Trubisky, 16 of 30, 110 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. This is not an impenetrable force either. Now, we're going to be taking some time these next couple days to preview the Bears, and we'll get into all of that. But it is, it's this game to me as we lead into these days. It's going to be Joe Philbin and Aaron Rodgers in this Packers offense that is now coming off its highest scoring game of the season, thanks in part to Bashad Breeland. Right. But 34 points against a Bears defense that every single week just gets better. I, the storylines build themselves. Yeah, well, and we didn't really get an update from Joe Philbin on where the Packers are health-wise on their offensive line. But really, when you look at this game, the fact that the Packers were missing three starters on their offensive line for the Falcons game and what this Bears defensive front is doing to people, both against the run and the pass. I watched the second half, pretty much the whole second half of that Rams-Bears game, and it was amazing because the last I checked, Todd Gurley's the reigning NFC offensive, NFL yeah. offensive player of the year. Mm-hmm. The Rams just didn't even want to give him the ball. They gave up trying to run the ball against that Bears front, and then the pass rush just made life miserable for Goff. Not that they sacked him a whole bunch of times, but the four interceptions were largely the result of all the pressure and him having to run around and, and everything. I don't know where the Packers will be on the offensive line if Brian Balaga, Byron Bell, and or Lane Taylor will be able to get back into the starting lineup. But this game for the Packers offense comes down to what they do up front against that Bears defensive front because the the Bears have a whole bunch of interceptions, but it's that defensive front that sets the tone. Yeah, I mean, they definitely are going to have to protect the football. The Bears, I think, are already north of, what, 30 takeaways or something like this on the season. I I saw a stat that they have 25 interceptions, I believe, on the season, and in the last three years combined, the Bears had 24 interceptions. Kyle Fuller, I mean, people want to talk about the Packers and the offseason and everything. Brian Gutekunds trying to sign Kyle Fuller looks better and better every single day uh, with him now up to seven interceptions on the season. Eddie Jackson, the former safety out of Alabama who broke his leg, has now become a phenomenal player in their secondary. So, yeah, you're right. There are a lot of guys that could take away the football, but much like Vic Fangio's defense in San Francisco all those years, this thing is being won for them right now in the trenches. And it was, you know, you could talk about Khalil Mack, and no question, Khalil Mack is a big piece of that maybe even the one that put them over the top. But I think you got to give a lot of credit to Ryan Pace, uh, what they've brought in. You know, Danny Trevathan has now become a big part of that uh, middle of that defense. But then, you know, Roquan Smith comes in. There are just so many different guys at so many different levels that are stepping up for the Bears this season, and it's allowing them to, to put together performances like this. I have to throw out one more thing, Michael, before I let you get to your advertisement, too. Thank you to the Bears defense. You're going to be like, why are you saying thank you? (laughs) Every single person that has asked over the last few weeks, why aren't the Packers running more jet sweeps? Why isn't there more misdirection? Watch what happened to the Rams in that game. (laughs) Yeah. Good defense and good discipline will always beat misdirection. It's it's as long as the NFL has been around, that has been the case. If that wasn't the case, you'd run jet sweeps every single play. The Bears blew them up. There yeah. was nothing that the Rams yeah. were going to be able to get away with, and it ended up with them having what was it, thirteen carries, six fifty-two yards. They they couldn't they couldn't run the ball. They no. couldn't run the football, and that that just completely set them up for for failure in that game. You mentioned Mac, and I know we'll use tomorrow's show to talk even more yeah. about the Bears. But I think 
And I take nothing away from Mack and what he did in Oakland, but I don't know in Oakland if he was ever on a defensive line that had a guy like Akeem Hicks. And I think those two, you can say what you want about Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue, a great pair for the L.A. Rams. I don't know if there is a more disruptive and dangerous pair of defensive linemen on the same team right now than Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks. Those guys, those guys are just downright nasty, I guess, for lack of a better word. It's an excellent point you make because when they drafted Mack, he was their he was their playmaker, but he was young. In all of the veterans on that group, on that unit that the Raiders had, they were all free agent signings. There were no Hickses out there that were just like bona fide starters that were already causing disruption in their defense. Yeah. They were trying to mix and match veterans with their young guys, whereas you take Vic Fangio, what he's done, he's had playmakers in place, he's had a top-10 defense before, and now you just added one of the top young pass rushers into the league, into that unit. Yeah, all right. Well, before it gets away from here, what's yep. a little sponsor business? So Packers fans, stop in at your local Quick Trip and pick up your Packers Cup today. Get 89-cent refills on your Cafe Karuba Coffee all season long, and the deadline here is coming up, Wes. Only one home game left to enter the Cousin Subs' best seats in the house promotion. You and a guest could win a chance to kick back on the 50-yard line in style. Two pairs of lucky Packers fans will be chosen prior to each home game for this VIP experience. Enter daily now through December 16 by completing the entry form and submitting for complete rules and eligibility. Go to Packers.com slash best seats. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. All right, another thing I wanted to get to, Wes, because I had the pleasure on Monday of going through the Packers' defensive film because I wanted to see just how this whole matchup between Jair Alexander and Julio Jones went. And I take nothing away from what Alexander did against Jones when he was matched up with him one-on-one. But what I found, and this is why I ended up centering my entire what you might have missed weekly piece, which uh, which will be up on the website Tuesday around this is it wasn't just what Alexander did against Jones and don't get too carried away with the narrative that this was, you know, 60 snaps or 65 snaps of Alexander just lined up across from Julio Jones, every play, because that wasn't the case. There was some mixing and matching with some zone calls and other types of coverages. But man, when I was watching Alexander snap after snap on the all 22, his anticipation defensively really, really stands out. And I'm talking about plays where trying to, you know, flare out passes to the running backs or even on design screens, whether it's a check down or, or a screen, a design pass to a running back. He is charging up from that cornerback position. He is right in the thick of all those plays. And one of the things that really jumped out at me is you remember the play where I believe it was Atlanta's second possession, third down, they're nearing the red zone, and Matt Ryan kind of pump, pump fakes or tries yeah. to stop throwing the ball, and it comes out of his hand, and, and they, lose, they lose a whole bunch of yards. When you look at that on film, he's trying, he's looking to swing it out to Tevin Coleman leaking out of the backfield. Jair Alexander was charging up, and I'm convinced from watching the film that when Matt Ryan saw Alexander's anticipation of that play is when he tried to stop the throw, and then that's why yeah. the ball comes out. So it looks like a terrible play on Matt Ryan's part, but give credit to Alexander. I think he's the one who forced the fumble. Yeah, yeah, it's he's had a great year. I mean, you look at where he came from as a 21-year-old rookie, 18th overall pick, high expectations, and he's you know really risen to every challenge that he's been given this year. I mean. Yeah, you know, whatever your definition of matching 
however you want to look at it. The Packers have made it pretty clear, especially in the time in which Kevin King has been out with these lingering lower body issues, yeah. hamstring issues, that Jair Alexander is their quote-unquote number one cornerback. Uh, he can play the slot. He can play the boundary. He's versatile. He's quick. He's a ball hawk. And he has a short memory, and his confidence never wanes. So for him to be able to step up to that challenge but then also be accountable um, to those other situational football type things because in a situation like that where there is a dump-off pass, can't imagine there was any situation where that was quote-unquote his guy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just a guy trying to step up and make a play, track in the eyes of a quarterback and being aware of his surroundings. Yeah. And then a byproduct of that is you end up causing, what it was it, a 16-yard loss? Yeah, a 16-yard loss. loss, and then the Falcons missed the field goal is ended up being a 50-plus-yard field goal that came up way short. The two biggest plays for the Packers' defense of the day were both set up on you know one-two situations when it was that and then Bryant missing badly on the field goal, and then also uh, the, the, the kickoff return that was botched ends up putting them at the 8-yard line, right. and then Breland comes back and gets the pick six. Those are the type of things you need, though. You need to have, from a defensive perspective, positive momentum-building plays because the the other side of that is it's going to tilt the, you know, the momentum of a football game. Yeah, I tell you, uh, number 23, this rookie, Alexander, for the Packers, he is just fun to watch. And I know the fans watching at home on TV, you can't focus on a cornerback. He's not in the screen, and that's why I, I took the time to sit down and watch an entire game simply focusing on him on the all 22 and and he he really he really is a special player and he doesn't look like a rookie I guess that's yeah. maybe the biggest compliment I could uh, I could give him because yes Julio Jones is going to make his plays Julio Jones had one big play that was called back on an offensive holding penalty another play where he beat Alexander deep but the ball was overthrown that right. kind of stuff happens as well but man you talk you talk about a competitor who is not going to back down to anybody and whose who's energy and enthusiasm and everything fires up everybody around him. Yeah, and if you could just, if the, for the Packers' sake, if you get three more weeks here the rest of this regular season where you can get keep Alexander and Breland and, and Jackson, Tony Brown, you know, keep the rest of that secondary healthy. They've had yeah. to weather a lot of injuries this year, but I think you even saw with Breland the dimension that he adds when he's sort of thrown in there as well because – he has inside-outside versatility. He he said it after the game. He really stressed over the last few years his playmaking ability, his ball-hawking ability. Tremont Williams, Kentrell Bryce was back in that game. I just think from Mike Pettin's perspective, moving these chess pieces around, the more of them, the more guys that you give him, the better his defense can be, the more plays that they can make. The exciting thing about Alexander's getting back to him, though, is the fact that he is only 21 years old. Yeah, He has a long future, a bright future ahead of him in this league. And every single rep he takes against Julio Jones or, or Brandon Cooks or Larry Fitzgerald, all these guys he's seen over the last couple months, I mean, the byproduct of that, the, the benefit of that down the line is just going to be out of this world. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Well, I promised at the end of yesterday's show that we would look back at the week that was yeah, in the NFL. And with that result on Monday Night Football with the Seahawks beating the Vikings, that is what has set up now that the Bears are in position with one more victory. All Chicago needs is one more win to clinch its first NFC North title since 2010 but now the Vikings are sitting there at 6-6-1 and there are uh, three other teams I believe that are 6-7 and Uh, the Packers then behind that bunch at 5-7-1 this whole cluster fighting for the 
what what right now would be the number six seed in the NFC, the wild card spot. You know, it's tough, Wes. I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles look like, okay, are they going to make a run? But then they end up losing in overtime to the Cowboys. The Carolina Panthers were six and two. They've lost five games in a row to drop to six and seven, and now they're hanging on for their playoff lives. Um, and obviously, the Washington Redskins, with their quarterback situation and the injuries, they've gone from six and three, I believe they were, to now six and seven, with four straight losses. Um, it's kind of got it's you know quite frankly gotten crazy in the NFC. And if one other thing happened as a result of the Bears beating the Rams on Sunday night, the Bears might have just sent the NFC road to the Super Bowl through the Superdome in New Orleans yeah. because now the, the, the Saints, who have the tiebreaker on the Rams, are back in the number one spot. And I know the Saints have had their ups and downs here over the last couple of weeks, but boy, come January, having to go into the Superdome in New Orleans, I'm not sure if anybody's going to be, be able to go in there and beat that team. Yeah, if they can just stay at AT&T Stadium now from the here until the Super Bowl, <laughs> they might be all right. The very interesting thing about them, though, and I was thinking about this before, and I was just looking at the schedule now, they do have the, that quirky part of the schedule where they get Carolina twice yeah. in three weeks. Carolina's having a boatload of issues right now trying to figure out what's going on there. And Pittsburgh's coming off a really demoralizing loss as well. So, yeah, things are setting up pretty well for Sean Payton's team. Uh, as, as far as that game, though, with the Minnesota and Seattle, the game right there basically to be had – uh, for the Vikings and offensively just can't get it done. I I know the, the main storyline this year has been with Kirk Cousins and the fact that the Vikings have had the issues they've had. Totally get that. They dished out a ton of money to them. That creates expectations. But their inability to get the running game going this season has really yeah. just caught me by surprise. I thought, you know, I know Delvin Kick was coming off of an injury, but I thought getting him back this year and pairing him with with Cousins and what they did without him I thought I thought so too I thought so too Wes I really I really thought Dalvin Cook was going to be the answer for them in the running game and I'm not sure why that is but uh and I again I don't want to go into a whole referendum on the officiating in the NFL but I don't understand how you pick up the flag on Bobby Wagner on the blocked field goal yeah. It's the it's the letter of the law. You threw the flag, then suddenly you think you didn't see what you thought you saw when actually the video shows that it was a penalty, and that was the difference between a 15-yard penalty that gives the Vikings a first down in the red zone, down six to nothing in the fourth quarter. Yes, they had just gotten to the two-yard line and went for it and didn't score, but still the game is only six to right. nothing. They have a first down in the red zone if they get that personal foul on Wagner. Instead. The blocked field goal stands. The Seahawks drive the other way and get a touchdown and go up two scores and put the game away. These games are hinging on officiating, Wes, and I'm not sure what the league is going to do about it, if anything, but uh, it just seems like you can't go a week. And now that we're late in the season and these games mean that much more, you can't go a week in this league without high-profile officiating discussions deciding some big things happening in the NFL. Here's the problem that the NFL is going to have. It's one thing to get Clay Matthews calling him for weight on the defensive player, defenseless player, whatever. It's one thing to, to mention this Bobby Wagner play with the with the field goal. It's another thing, you know, when you look at how these things have gone against Aaron Rodgers and you know, over the past couple of years. But when a pattern develops, what does that tell you? It tells you it's not going away. <laughs> I'm not even looking yeah. at these next three weeks, Mike. In four weeks, in five weeks, in six weeks. 
championships are going to be decided. Teams are going to be in a winner-go-home type phase. You have 12 teams making the playoffs. So how many games does that end up leading to? You're telling me you're going to play all those games, dozen, 16, whatever it comes out to, and you're not going to have any officiating issues? I think you're right. We're not going to put this on the league and the referendum at this point in time, but if you think it's interesting now, folks, stay tuned because the playoffs are on the horizon. Then you're really going to have an issue. Well, I think, think, and I'll, I'll just end the show by saying this, as much as the NFL has resisted, in a lot of different facets of the game over the years, adopting things that are in college football. Look how long it took the NFL to actually put the two-point conversion into the league. The college system of essentially anything being subject to review by somebody buzzing from upstairs to stop the game and say, hey, we got to take a look at that play. I just wonder if, if... Sooner than later, if the NFL is going to have to is, is going to have to go that route. Absolutely, but who's reviewing it now, too? Yeah, you know, no, I, I agree that's with the you. other thing. I I, I, I agree <laughs> I agree with you there, but one step at a time. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what but I'm that's, saying? That's the thing. You know funny. what I'm saying? You press the buzzer. Well, if, <laughs> if New York doesn't yeah, I care, hear you. <laughs> but, I, I, but you're right. I hear you. We I are getting you. to that point that I think you're really going to have to take a look at all these things yeah. because it's it's piling up, Mike, and that pile it is. is getting pretty big. It is. It, it is. With that, we got to go. We'll sign off <laughs> on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's still at Wes Hod. I'm still at Mike Spofford. At Packers is still the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.